Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com slash easter24. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. This is Steve Carter, and in association with my good friends at CDF Capital, I'm excited for today's episode where I get to interview my dear friend. She is an author. She's a mother. She's a wife. She's just an incredible, incredible teacher of God's Word. She's a teaching pastor at Mars Hill Bible Church. Her name's Ashley Island. And I just got to tell you, I've known her for a number of years, and um, she's someone who consistently brings thoughtful insights uh, to the text. We used to lead a, a Wednesday night service in Chicagoland together, and every time she preached, there was this moment where the way that she would string words together, um, it, it would almost be like, I've read that verse, but I've never heard it in that way before. Uh, she is profoundly gifted, and I'm excited for you to get to hear her. Obviously, this is a podcast where we dive into what it means to take your craft of communicating and preaching and teaching seriously, but we always want to be people where our character in Christ is leading the way. And Ashley is one of my favorite people on the planet. I'm so excited for you to get to hear her. And like we do in most of the podcasts, I want you to understand a little of how she sounds when she preaches and teaches. And so I pulled a part of her teach from uh, the beginning of this year. Uh, she was kicking off 2021 with a message called Jesus Predicts, and she, she kind of unpacks how Jesus was rejected, how Jesus was received, and, and all about Jesus rescuing, and it's a beautiful, beautiful message. So hear this part, and then we'll welcome Ashley to the podcast. Amidst an upcoming betrayal and a farewell and a denial, he gives them these words. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this verse may be so well known to you that it might be hard to grasp just how the disciples would have heard this new command. Rewind back to Leviticus 19, and you'll see the old one. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Yourself. But here now, Jesus is commanding them not to love as they imperfectly and incompletely love themselves and their own interests. He's saying, look at the way I've loved you. If not over the past couple years, look at the past few minutes. I've become a servant and washed the filth from your feet, the filth from a betrayer and a denier. I've honored Judas by pursuing him in relationship even to the end. I've told you what's coming so that you believe in me. And if you believe in me, you accept me. And whoever accepts you who I send, they accept my father, the one who sent me. This is called the apostolic succession. And according to Dale Bruner, this succession gives the future church her pedigree, her lifeline, her privilege, and her mission. And it all hinges, everybody, not on our debate. It doesn't hinge on if we ignore or quietly write off another 
or turn a blind eye. It doesn't hinge on if we cancel one another out on social media or gossip about someone else's political leanings. It's not based on the news outlets that we watch or the hashtags we support. It's not based on the flags that we fly or the signs in our yards. Everyone will know we are his disciples if we love. Ashley Island, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Steve, I am honored to be in this conversation with you. And for those who don't know how much you have influenced my life, my teaching, my husband and my relationship together, you know and love Delwyn, but I am indebted to you. And I just want people to know that from the jump because your faithfulness to the word of God has influenced and lit a spark in my love for the word of God. And so thank you before we get started and move any further into this conversation. I just have to say thank you for being my mentor, um, in many ways, my rabbi, and I honor you before we say another word. So thank okay, you. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to edit that piece out. That's very <laughs> kind. That's very kind. Do it. <laughs> Keep it. <laughs> No, I, I, you know, the, obviously the love is mutual uh, mm-hmm. between the Carters and Islands. Um, and seriously, I, I, uh, I received those words. It's very, very mm-hmm. kind. And I'm just, uh, just so proud of you. And um, I'm excited for um, just people to hear this because, again, you and I have studied so many messages and sermons and series together over the years. Um, but I've always just appreciated how you've been able to find your sound uh, and really trust your voice and put yourself out there. And, and sometimes, sometimes in, in ways that, I mean, obviously, uh, risky, prophetic, like pastoral, uh, mm-hmm. hard work where you sit with the text. And um, even as people just got a, a chance to hear uh, your January 3rd, 2021 message, I, I think they get a, get a sense of that fire that's within you. Many people maybe have come across you first and foremost through your uh, book, Humankind. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's an incredible, incredible book. And I I just, one, just think what's incredible about you is your ability to write. Mm -hmm. And I've always been captured by it. The way that you string sentences together. I've always had this question, and I can't believe I've never really asked you this, is do you see yourself first and foremost as a communicator, teacher, who writes, or someone who is a writer who has this fire in her bones, Jeremiah style, that has to mm. like come out through the form of preaching and writing? As, yeah. I don't know. Has that ever hit you before? Yes, I've wrestled with this because for a long time, see, when I first started preaching, and I think you and I at some point processed this. I felt inadequate as a preacher because it didn't feel like my first skill. It didn't feel like something I stepped into very naturally. What came first was the writing. I've always been a writer, even from a, you know, a young age, seven, eight years old. I remember writing books and illustrating them and just loving words. And I come from a family of women who love words. My mom majored in journalism. My grandmother was a teacher. And so I've always processed the world through words. And I have a lot of journals. I probably have at this point 15, 17 journals that are chock full of thoughts, prayers, processing. And so my preaching comes from a place of writing out and processing first the text as it intersects and convicts my own life, as if I'm having a conversation with God through the writing And then the questions come later of, okay, Lord, what's for this specific body at this specific time? What is for this flock right now? But that first has to come through the filter of my writing and processing on my own. So I'd say I'm a a writer who just happens to be called um, to the work of preaching and proclamation in the local church. That's fascinating. So when you are given a passage, and we're going to jump, we'll hit this in a moment because Mars has been historically known as a as a community that you know does books and chapters and pericopes of the yeah. of the of the word and and um and that's kind of obviously I, I i have my roots mars is an alma mater of mine i i love that place uh so so much of my formation was grounded there but when you are given uh 
a section of scripture, let's say, you know, you're, you're given John 17. Yeah. Now, are you pulling out one of those journals and starting reading, writing, um, or like walk me through that process? Cause you said something in there that I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I've ever done that. I mean, I typically will all read and start to walk and mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get it in me and I'm That's thinking, right. but you, you mentioned, Oh, I, these journals and writing explain your prep process right there. Yeah. This is very recent as of pandemic. This was a huge light bulb moment for me, Steve, because I felt the pressure when I first received a text or had to choose one to go to straight, not necessarily opening up a commentary and cracking it open, but going to the, okay, historically, what's the hermeneutic here? Like what, what do I need to understand that I don't currently know? And how do I preach from my, my space of lack and insufficiency versus openness and receptivity to what the spirit is doing in me? And so over pandemic, I just, I didn't have the time or the turnaround that I normally would in the same space that I normally would have to, to process and to prep. And so this was almost trial by fire where I broke out one of my journals and said, okay, Lord, speak to me through this text. What are you trying to say? What one word or phrase is sticking out? Like, where are you, where are you calling my attention to? Where is the spirit leading me to focus? Especially if it's a long block of text, like a whole chapter. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> then it gets overwhelming because there's so much we can pull out of it and direct people's attention to. But for me, I just, I felt so much freedom and peace and, and starting with the, um, my own heart's um, conviction and leading and then to say, uh, Ashley, you know your congregation, trust that, trust that where I'm leading you, um, you'll know um, how to then expand this and walk other people through it. And so it became an exercise of trust to say, don't start with, with like the heady expert knowledge, although that's definitely a part of my process later on. And it's almost like a, it's almost like a check for me. Um, when you get into your car, you buckle your seatbelt, you check your rear view mirrors, you check all the engine lights, you check all of that. The, the commentaries become a check just to make sure that, that we're good to go. But in terms of um, the specificity of the words intersection of our current time and place and for this specific body that I've been called to lead for such a time as this, to start with that heart piece and just to let God speak um, through the text and to um, outline and to prep from there has become really freeing and extremely helpful. It's brought a lot of joy. It's kept joy preserved in the art of preaching for me. I love that. And and any of you who are emerging teachers listening or have been doing this for uh, decades, you know, one of the, the pieces that I'll always try to remind people is, you know, I think sometimes insecurity comes out in preaching when we jump to somebody else who we think is an authority on this topic first. I'm not saying right. not to go check out, you know, what N.T. Wright has to say or what Scott McKnight or Golden Gay or any of the other mm-hmm. fantastic commentators. And I love that. It, it's a check. It's a check. But what's amazing is those incredible voices, God-gifted voices, haven't been asked to lead Mars Hill, haven't been asked to communicate in the, the, the places where God has called you listener to, to teach and lead and pastor and preach. And, and one of the best ways I, I feel that showcases our security in the role that God has entrusted to us is when we can in our own way, whether that's the, the journal place for me, it's walking and asking the questions, but recognizing, oh man, like I am an authority to the strongholds, to the aches, to the desires of this place, God, that you've entrusted to me. So how do I get in tune with that and how this text either speaks to that, makes sense of it, disrupts it. Um, So I, I think that is a profound way. And I love that you are finding how God has wired you and leaning into that. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah it's not very conventional, is it? it? It feels very different from how I've experienced other people's prep process. But I have found, as you were saying, Steve, in this making room and this 
challenge that we're bringing to our specific group of people that we're leading or pastoring or, or discipling, I need to ensure that I'm allowing the text to do that for me, to yes. make room in me, to challenge me. Because if there's a roadblock here and how the text is intersecting the vessel of my unique perspective, experience, whatever else comes in the package of who I am as that delivery mechanism, I won't be freed up to then have those lenses on for my congregation. And so it's such an important part of my process to say, God, allow, allow me to stand under the conviction and authority of your word before taking this to a larger body of people, because I want to ensure that I'm just as passionate and, and convicted and, and um, committed to this text as I would ask of our congregation at Mars Hill. Um, you know, I love, there are a couple of go-tos. I used to go to all the commentaries and be like, what does... What do all the people say about all the things about every part of this text? But I've also found joy in going to a couple of voices I really love and trust and seeing what they have to say about them. I mean, yeah. right now, being in the Gospel of John, Dale Bruner is amazing. Um, his commentary has been super helpful. And then Fleming Rutledge, I always, I'm like, what is Fleming? What does she have to say about? Yes, yes. Anything? So, and so I start there. And if I feel like I need more, um, I expand out and have a couple of programs on my laptop. But to start from a place of standing underneath the authority of the text myself is, is been huge for me. Uh, so good, you know, and I, I think it's really, really important. Um, you know, we, we have a shared uh, older, wiser voice in Dr. Gary Burge, who, yes. you know, he's, he wrote a great commentary on John. And every time I've got a passage there that I'm like, hey, can I just get five minutes? So it's, it's amazing yes. where, when you find a few of these voices and then you have like relationship, you can just, you can pop them a call. W one of the pieces that I think is fascinating too, and this has been something, honestly, like I have admired and really, really learned from you, Ashley. And um, I feel like Tim Keller does this really well. And I think you do this really, really well is you find, and I, and I love this, the starting point where, you, you know, again, the journals, the writing, getting informing and shaping, but I also feel like there's an end goal with you that it could be application. It could be a question. It could be a practice, but it always seems to be pointing to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Yeah. And, and like it's, and it doesn't feel forced. So there's some pathway where it feels like whether even in your social media posts, whether mm. whether in your preaching, but I I find this um, it this cruciformity, this this kind of shaping, forming into the the reality of death, burial, resurrection. Um, that feels that's got to be wildly intentional because you do it and it feels so natural. But uh, can you am I am I seeing that right? Yes, I would say I am committed to the proclamation of the word uh, for the sake of all of us encountering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, I am 100% committed to Christocentricity and, and how we walk um, on, on this earth together and individually in our discipleship and everything. I mean, you taught me this, Steve. I remember being in a room with you and you bringing in 10 different objects and saying, tell me how this reflects the gospel. Where's the gospel in this? That sort of discipline and seeing gospel in everything creates the fruit of producing in, in communication, in writing, in conversation across a coffee table or over Zoom, a, a knee-jerk instinct to see gospel in everything. And that's been one of the greatest gifts that you've given me, but it's also been something I'm more committed to than anything, because especially now, the propensity and the ease of communicators, leaders, um, becoming, uh, giving into narcissism or uh, ego um, of preaching, communicating for the sake of likes, comments, shares, whatever that is. I, I know that instinct is in me, but if I am committed to Christocentricity um, and, and taking the text and helping us be more formed um, in Christ-likeness, that is centering for me. That is accountability. That is, um, it brings me back to what really matters um, in the art and the gift and the burden of preaching. 
right? Um, so for me, it becomes accountability. Say, is, is this Christ proclaimed? And if not, do we need it? Hmm. I love that. It, it gets me wondering how many of these journal pages do you have working at one time? You know, because in, in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, she's got one and then she then she teaches that. And then I'm starting to realize going, well, to ha- to hone this because it doesn't sometimes it, it's not an easy jump just to get to death, burial and resurrection. It's got to get so much in you or yeah. discipled out of you to kind of be able to see it. Uh, do you feel like in your journals, man, there's like five or six pages going at a time, two or three? What's that look like? I wish I could show you one right now. And I wish everyone listening could see, I take whatever I have. So I, right now I have three different journals going and they're wow. in different parts of my house. So if a thought comes to mind, I just grab a pen and write it down. I'll tear it out and join it with the other pieces of paper. I mean, it's kind of like a mad scientist method of when it comes to me and in Dallin and my husband will tell you if we're in a conversation and I feel like the Holy Spirit just like bring something up or there's like a gold mine in something he said or something we're observing together, I will whip up my phone unapologetically, pull open the notes app and jot it down. Yes. Because for me, I am, I'm so present in the moment and I am prone to forget something the second after it happens. Yes. <laughs> so I have to write it down. I have to capture it somehow. And I know for you, like you like to record or do notes in your phone too, but for me, it's in a journal and sometimes it doesn't make sense. It's not chronological, but I know if I've written it down over time in the prep process and as I'm pulling my outline together, it becomes clear what belongs where based on what I'm trying to communicate um, to our congregation. Okay. So so now you've written it down and do you do most of of your main, oftentimes when I see you teach, you've got a, um, a little podium. So I can't see what you're actually, yeah. if it's an iPad, is it an iPad or is it? No, I'm, I'm old school. I go notes. I go typed out notes. Okay. So typed out notes. Yeah. Okay. So you've got written journals. Are you snapping a picture of that? Are you ripping that out and bringing it? And you've got like eight of these and some other notes from commentators and other thoughts and then compiling that to transcribed manuscript? Yes, it's it's crazy, Steve. So I will You take, are a mad scientist. I, I love it. It's I don't know how this works. Now that I'm talking about it out loud, I, I need a better process. Help. No, it's I love but, it. So I'll go through all my journals or all my notes that I've taken on that specific passage, whether they're on my laptop, on my phone, in three different journals, and I will spread them out on a desk or on my bed and start piecing them together like a puzzle. I'll start with um, this defining and really foundational question of what kind of talk is this? That's helpful for me. And, and you about you know about this, Ken Davis taught us, you know, is this persuasive in nature or is this an enabling talk? Yep. I need to hone that down because I tend to um, – overshoot in the word count category. And this helps me file it down a little bit. But then once I have that, I usually work, I don't start with my introduction. I go to what's the tension here. What about our present moment? What about this text is drawing out tension that really is pointing to a deep longing or question that all of us are asking, at least all of us in the context to which I'm preaching what are we all asking right now that the text is illuminating or challenging or kicking up dust around? And if I can hone in on that foundational idea of, am I trying to tell you that we can do something or teach you how to do something? I clarify the tension there. Then I go to the text and I say, how does the text walk us through that tension? How does Jesus become the answer to that tension? And I am, right? How do we find, even if it's an Old Testament text, how are we drawing ourselves forward um, to the gospel while also being grounded in um, the the history of the text? And then I go with all my ideas, whether it was a conversation I had or a story that was told or a book I read or a piece of art I I was gazing upon. um, And then I insert that in. I say, where does that fit? And it does become like a puzzle that I'm putting together. And then usually um, I'll think of something funny my kids did, and that'll be my introduction. (laughs) (laughs) 
and try to come full circle in the conclusion and really lead us to a, what do we do now? Um, so it, it becomes a puzzle, a fun puzzle game for me. It's pretty stressful at times because I feel like I could do that all day and there's always more tweaking that could be done. But for me, it's helpful to just let the thoughts come and say come and then make sense of them later. It's, it's one of the, the pieces of the pandemic that when you had to film uh, earlier that your, your deadlines got pushed up to Tuesday, you know, right. whereas instead of Friday, you know, th- there was a, a time where you're like, well, I can, I can still tweak. I can still tweak. But then it was like Tuesday, nope. you're done, yes. you know, it's, it's, it's done. But I love hearing your process, and that really makes sense, uh, one, to, to who you are and how God has just, just gifted you and wired you. But I, I, I can see that, you know. I, I, I probably, and I, I mentioned to this before, I, I probably listened to half a dozen of your talks, uh, you know, once every couple months. I'm like, I got I to gotta learn from Ashley. And just you're one of my favorite mm-hmm. people, favorite communicators. But that, that makes sense of just the the real intentionality um, and how you bring in a story of, you know, miles or Brooklyn or journey or, you know, something that you've added in, but that puzzle um, that I I see that. And um, I'm just, again, just so, so ridiculously proud of you um, and what you're doing and and just the ways in which you just, I feel like uphold the integrity of the text, Mm. um, but continue to, I feel like really speak, in ways that are profoundly pastoral. Um, mm. I, I often, I, I told this to Sarah, uh, my wife, um, you know her, um, but the, I'm like, Ashley, I feel like eight miles, so many of her talks. Mm. And when I say eight miles, I mean, at the end of eight mile, when like Eminem is going head to head in this rap battle, and he says everything that that person is going to say. And so the guy then yeah. just has nothing to say. And I feel like there's mm. a bit with your intentionality as a writer that I feel like you are often um, articulating where people might go with a pushback, a reservation, a concern, a fear of the disruption. But you have this ability, and please, if you're listeners, go back and listen to some of Ashley's talks. You will see this. But you almost give people um, no excuses for not seeing the beauty of the death, burial, and resurrection. Mm, mm. It's powerful. That's, um, Steve, I, I have not seen my own preaching that way. So I, I, I so appreciate your, your calling that out. When I write and when I craft this outline, so it goes from crazy med scientist notes to something that looks like a manuscript. And I try and do, you know, if you're a preacher communicator, love your tech people well by making a clean, clear outline. That is so loving um, and such a gift to them. But I try to make a version that I send to our tech folks and then one that I have for me um, on the platform. But I always try to have faces and actual lives and people in mind. And I try to make sure that the diversity of experience, age, economics, race is represented as it pertains to the people I'm speaking to. So, so the, for me, the role and the, the, the beautiful burden of a communicator, especially in the context of a church body, isn't just to take the text and like bring it and like to, you know, absolutely knock it out of the park. I, I, I do think there's so much care and intentionality we need to bring to our prep of the text specifically. But the other part for me is the pastoral part of, do I know my people? And, and does this proclamation communicate the knowledge of care for and love of the people of God to whom I've been called to lead? And so that piece that I think you're talking about really, I hope that shines through because to me that communicates how much I love my congregation. Um, when I can sense, oh, so-and-so is going to, when I say that, they're going to think this. Or because this is what this family is going through, they're going to have this question. Or I should really be careful in clarifying what I mean when I say X, Y, and Z because I know this person is going through a really hard time. Um, so running some of those filters through to say, how might this be received and how can I remove every roadblock to the full 
um, receptivity and again, encounter with the spirit of God through those words um, for the specific people that might be hearing it that day. That's amazing. I, you know, I love that because I think um, so oftentimes Again, so many communicators are trying to showcase what they know about the text, Mm -hmm. but not how much they know the congregation. Mm -hmm. Pastors and shepherds have to declare their God-given insight, knowledge, because they've embodied the ministry of presence with their people. And when you are able to know your people, it plays out in how you write. But it also, I imagine, at times can be a bit tricky and where you have that delicate dance because actually you're both uh, prophetic and pastoral. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes those are at, 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 at odds when you're in Chicagoland or you grew up in Houston or you're in West Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, h- how do you have to negotiate that at times going, I know this might be the disruption, but this is, this is a healthy in in light of death burial and resur- resurrection like how, how do you how do you negotiate that uh in your own spirit especially mm-hmm. with everything that's gone on in 2020 and beyond yeah this is where the advocate the the spirit helps a ton yeah because wow. the question becomes not what are all the things that i want to say it's what god what do you need to be said right now And this is where I'm going to get a little emotional because I think to avoid like the drive-by pastoring of people, I can trust that what I say for that day is enough, Steve, because I know that my heart is to be with that group of people for the long haul. And whether that long haul is a couple of years or two decades, whatever it is, my commitment to that flock is deep. And so whatever I say in that moment, if it feels cutting because it's time to say that that thing (laughs) for that people, I know that we're going to have more opportunities to walk out faith together in understanding what that looks like in real time and having conversations one-on-one with people and taking walks around, you know, our local lake with, with folks for whom that was a hard, that was a hard pill. Um, But it's trusting the spirit to lead and to take away anything that doesn't need to be said for that day. And I think that's, that's a, that is a tension and a temptation for me. It's because I love words so much. I want to say all of them, (laughs) but the submission and the trust um, of the Holy spirit comes and saying, these aren't all my words to say, Uh, Lord, help me, help me filter out the ones that are needed for right now. Okay. I, I'm terrible at this, uh, and I feel like my dad, when I asked this question, you said a line at the very beginning of this section where you said, it's not about what I want to say, mm-hmm. it's about what the advocate wants to be said. Did I say that right? Right now, yeah. Right now. God wants to that, be said right now. What mm-hmm. God wants to be said right now. Man, that's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and I think that, Anybody who's listening, again, the the tone, the demeanor, the intentionality, the spirit uh, that you're hearing from Ashley right now, it's who she is. It's it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite pieces about her. But you know what's what's interesting, and as you said that, I, I'm also thinking, you know, you've been in West Michigan for less than three years. Like less than two years. Less than two years. <laughs> Man, I 2020 was a decade. So we're like, you know, it was two uh, years combined. (laughs) Um, One of the pieces that I also know is that oftentimes many people are stepping into new assignments, new appointments, new Mm. um, opportunities. And one of the things that I think you have done a profoundly beautiful job at is endearing yourself um, as a pastor, as a Mm. teacher, um, to a to a church that has been known to have some incredibly great voices, I, I think. Can you maybe speak to that? If if you just could imagine, you know, uh, there's a handful of people who just in 2021 have just stepped into a new role, mm-hmm. um, and they've got things they want to say. 
Mm-hmm. They've got uh, passion to preach. Um, maybe talk about just your your ability in those first six months of how you were able to really build trust within mm-hmm. the Mars Hill family. Yeah, I'd say in the first six months of me being at Mars Hill, whatever skill or talent or spiritual gift I was bringing to the table was not as important as understanding the story that God had already written in and through that specific body. It wasn't, it, 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 it was submitted to the history of that, of that place. And so I remember one of the first things I, I did, I said to one of our staff, Hey, can you set up a meeting with every single staff person? I <laughs> just for like an hour, every single person. I don't care if it takes three months because I wanted to know like, what has this place meant to you? What are you dreaming about? What are you hoping for? What have you seen God do? That was my work for six months, understanding the city, understanding um, the unique offering that for me in West Michigan right now, the unique offering that this place had as potential testimony to the watching world. I needed to understand that. And um, someone once said, you kind of need to spend some time exegeting your congregation in your city before you feel like you're really bringing anything new to the table. Now, and that was not at the diminishment of my gifts or skills. I think sometimes we can play the false ego game of like, well, am I not enough? Like, am I really what they want? It's understanding, okay, God, why have you brought me here? And to better understand that and to step more confidently into that place with humility, it's to understand who this people is already. Um, and so that was a lot, a large part of the work before the pandemic hit. And so in some ways I, I still feel like I'm doing that. Um, but making space in my calendar to sit with people at coffee shops when that was a thing, um, taking walks with folks, um, actually pastoring people <laughs> and being with people and understanding what's going on in their lives. That's, that's been huge. And that's what I never want to stop doing no matter what role I'm in. The, I think there's so much wisdom there because again, uh, when you, when you see Ashley's intentionality of thinking about people in her congregation, as she's writing and exegeting a text, you know, often if you don't have those relationships, then all you are relying on, yes, the spirit, but basically on your interpretation, hermeneutic or insights that you've gathered along the way on that particular text. And when you step into a new assignment, the more that you can get of those insights, of those relationships, of, like you said, exegeting the, the congregation, exegeting the city, gosh, that just takes your teaching and preaching for that specific context to an entirely new level. So one, I love, love, love that. Hey, two more before we jump into character. And, uh, you know, whenever I do these interviews, uh, I, I, I don't send out a list of questions because the, the conversation can go a, a thousand different places. Um, they're just people that I respect, people that I trust, people that I love learning from. So um, sometimes I, I, I ask a, a bizarre or, or random question, but this, this, this one's going to be random, which Ashley is going to get a little nervous at first, but it's nothing to be nervous about. So your name is Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-E. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I once was in Houston and I went mm-hmm. to meet and see your parents and you, you were, you were in uh, Chicago or Michigan and your dad, uh, Sid, he, uh, he, he, and your mom, they, they took me out to just an amazing breakfast joint. We hung out uh, and they showed me their house. I mean, just, I love your folks. They're the, they're the best. They said something though, that I had never known about the tradition of Lee in the family name. Can you, is, can you talk about that? Cause I thought it was just so cool of carrying the name. Yeah, this is so, yeah, this is so good. So Lee, L-E-E, on both my parents' sides of the family is a significant name. My dad's mother, her name was Leola, and that's one of my daughter's middle names right now. And on my mother's side, her mother, so my grandmother's middle name uh, was Lee. 
And so when I was born, they wanted to keep Lee somewhere in the name that they chose for their child. They didn't find out whether they were having a boy or a girl. And so my dad was a Dallas Cowboys fan. He was really hoping they'd have a boy and name him uh, Dallas Lee Holmes, (laughs) which would have been a pretty dope name (laughs) after the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Um, but they had me, they had this, this girl and Ashley made the cut because of my dad's initials being Sid Holmes. And so my name ended up representing a Sid Holmes Lee. So that's how they came up with the spelling and that's how Ashley stuck. I love that. I mean, again, just from, you just hear the name Ashley, you're like, oh, it's a great name. And then again, just there's such a story behind it. Yeah. And again, um, you know, they, in, in Hebraic cultures, Arabic cultures, there's such power in names, there's such stories in names. And I just love how yours just represents that. But I also love how, you know, from Leola and then to even the middle names of your daughters, I just think it's just absolutely beautiful. So I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, that is the coolest thing ever. And then I'm looking at my kids, Emerson, and I'm like, ah, I, I got nothing. I got it's, nothing. You have really cool kids' names. Your well, kids have awesome names. Well done, <laughs> you and Sarah. Okay, last last question. Um, and this probably hits to a very smaller percentage of listeners, but um, your husband, Delwyn, is just one of my favorite worship leaders. Um, mm-hmm. He is just a, a dear, dear friend and... Um, someone that we chop it up all the time. And, you know, Wednesday nights used to go hoop together and um, we, we just uh, have an ability to talk a lot of trash uh, when it comes to, <laughs> to sports together. Um, but he is a, he's a prolific songwriter, prolific mm. songwriter. And uh, I once, when we were leading uh, the midweek services at Willow Creek together, we were doing a series on the, the minor prophets. It was called Minor League. And um, and I just, I just wanted to challenge Dellen. I, I kind of wanted to see what he could do. And so, um, basically our team got together and in, in a meeting and I just said, I think you should write a song for every minor prophet uh, that we do. And he was like, okay. And I was like, no, 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 like everyone like this, you can't skip a week. He's like, okay. And I kid you not this, if anybody's listening and has a bunch of money that wants to help me like actually fund this to make it an EP. I th- these songs were insane. He yeah. is so gifted. You should you uh. should follow him, listen to him on Spotify. He just released something a couple months ago that just like, it was so, so prophetic and pastoral mm. to what 2020 um, was for so many. And I just, uh, just love him. But I also know he's leading worship. And then you sometimes are getting up and preaching and uh, you have other worship leaders like Troy Hatfield and, yeah. and, and teachers and communicators at Mars that I absolutely adore. But are there ever times where you're like, hey, Dylan, I really I really would love uh, this song. Um, and he's like, no. Or do you guys ever like disagree about this? Like, how, how does this how does this work when you've got a worship leader who's an eight and strong opinions and a teacher who's a writer who has strong opinions? How, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> I love your laugh. Uh, Here's what's so fun about being married and being in ministry together. Our relationship becomes a really pure and authentic form of the way we pastor together. And so the, um, the times where I don't have any clue what I'd like uh, to do in terms of an opening set or how we come out of Eucharist, I trust Dolan. I trust wow. him as my pastor, as my worship pastor. And I, I mean, even just this past weekend, we, we did a pretty significant lift in naming um, some cultural sin and talking about our current cultural moment and what that has to do with us as a church. And I was just so in awe of Delwyn's song selection. It's like he read my mind. It's, it's, I felt like the spirit was unified in both of our separate uh, preparation processes. I, I will say there's there's been a time where I asked Dylan to do a very specific song coming out of one of my preaches, and he just flat out said no. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and there have been other times where, you know, there was one time 
I wanted him to sing the song Blackbird by, I think that's the Beatles. Don't kill me yeah. if it's not the Beatles. Okay. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, it is the Beatles. And he, in like 24 hours, turned it around and um, made it work for the opening of one of my talks. So I think it's, there's a sensitivity to what's going on in our own house and what we have, what else we have on our plates, but there's also a, a huge willingness to pray and seek together and figure out the whole arc of, for us, the liturgy, because it's not like you get to the, the sermon and that's the main event. We believe that coming out of the sermon, the Eucharist and coming to the table together, that's, that's the apex. That is the summit of our time together as a gathering community because it's calling us back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have the freedom throughout other parts of the service to say, how do we want to craft this entire experience together, um, given our certain portions and what we're responsible for in the service? And most of the time we have a lot of fun with it. And I don't think there's ever been a time I've, <laughs> I've um, regretted or um, held, held it against him that he's needed to say no, because I know there's so much else he's dealing with and volunteers he's leading, but um, it's been really fun doing ministry wow. together. Well, and, and what's, what's amazing in, you know, I'm just, even as I'm listening to you and was talking about him, you know, I, I use the phrase prolific writer himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, anytime I hear <laughs> someone say the phrase Abba father, yeah. I just, I go back to Delwyn in your living room at, you know, at yeah. the piano going, Abba. Yes. Abba. Like I just, yeah. I like, I just go back to this song that he was writing towards a the cultural moment in my yeah. opinion of 2020 and how and so this this just this just came to me how much does his ability to write bridges and verses and choruses help you mm. in your preaching and vice versa yeah it's interesting. I hear Delwyn's songs more than any other human being because I hear them from inception and I see him writing lyrics down in his notes app on his phone yeah. to plucking out choruses on the piano or the guitar. I, I mean, this when I say my husband takes his craft seriously and he sees it as his offering of life worship, not just musical worship, it's 100% true. So I have those lyrics <laughs> ingrained in me before they're released on an EP, released to our church. And in many ways, that's how I worship while I write. I worship to the songs that um, my husband my husband writes in our home. Wow. Um, and it's it's really a gift. I don't I don't think there's ever been a time I've taken his lyrics and integrated them into the the. Uh, the flow of one of my outlines for preach that um, specifically, but they definitely influence the posture that I bring to the writing and and the craft of preaching. Um, I'd say there are some things that I've written. I 90% of the time I read at least a portion of my outline or pick Dylan's brain about a preach because I, I like having conversations about the text. I do the same thing, as you said, with Dr. Gary Burge. I live five minutes away from him. <laughs> so they, he hears from me a lot. <laughs> um, and it's helped me, uh, helped illuminate so many things about the text, but the same thing happens with music and vice versa. So there might be something I say in a message that inspires Delwyn, and he's off to the races with new lyrics. And so that's the beauty of our, our mutual um, I think it's what a symbiotic relationship where each one of us um, brings something unique to the other's creative process. And it's, it's such a gift um, and really fun. I love that. I love that. Well, um, you know, we often will spend a good chunk of time talking about the importance of character and, you know, how our character is leading the way. And obviously um, we, we can be people who say things, um, but we want to live for something so much greater. And, you know, I, I'm curious for you, Ashley, as you've uh, stepped into this role, pastoring, teaching at Mars and um, such a significant um, and powerful and beautiful uh, congregation, um, talk about a little bit of your practices, your mm-hmm. your um, disciplines that have been probably pretty standard. And what I mean by that is like, this is just what you've done. But then also in 2020, what 
you know, new muscles or new disciplines you needed to acquire uh, to ensure that uh, your character, your death with Jesus was leading the way? I'd say standard for me, top three, just like any good communicator, it's alliteration, three S's, silence, (laughs) (laughs) silent, solitude, scripture, every morning, every morning. And it's to the point where um, my whole family knows that if I am by myself on one of our couches in our bay window or by the fireplace, wherever it is, there is a shift in my spirit that I can sense when I do not have that time with, with the Lord. Um, and so usually it's, I mean, we do a really good job of walking through the lectionary together. So we'll have set scripture passages that it actually feels really cool, especially in a moment where I cannot be proximate to our congregation or to our staff. I know that there are other people that I know and love reading those same scriptures um, with me that day. And so we'll read through a certain scriptures I'll journal. So I'll either write, Hey God, here's what I'm waking up with. This is really heavy. Here's a leadership challenge I'm facing. Like really elementary, like help me. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing, (laughs) there's nothing super uh, fancy about my time with the Lord other than I try to be honest and show up um, as I am and recognize him for who he is. Um, so in that though, it's been challenging because 2020, especially we shifted from having tons of space or options for space, right? A coffee shop, or even to go to the office when it's quiet to my home being the all encompassing environment. And that became a real challenge. I mean, I was, it it was like that, that comfort, that, that security that I had in that quiet time was just disrupted and there were no boundaries anymore. Like none. <laughs> and I, rem- so- I, re- I remember a <laughs> Meredith Miller teaching that she yeah. gave once on a Wednesday. And, and she said, yeah, she's hiding behind the curtains, like with her coffee, just trying to do silence and solitude. Yes. And, and then she'd hear pitter patter and she was like, just be still, yeah, just be right. still. Maybe the yeah. child will return back and I can, because she'd get up at like 5 a.m. just yes. to have this time. But I, every time I think about that, especially in pandemic. So I see her covered behind the curtains. Yeah, exactly. Just those huddles. Yeah. And the inner anxiety I feel trying to go down the steps at just the right part of each (laughs) plank so that it doesn't make noise. Yes, It's ridiculous. Let me tell you, (laughs) because if you know my son, Miles, which you do, like he, he's a rhinoceros in the mornings. He, he doesn't know (laughs) the meaning of the word silence. Um, but there was this uh, interview that I listened to with John Mark Comer and his book last year was just a game changer for me. Um, and it's this beautiful little orange book. Um, but he mentioned another book that has been huge for me by Ronald Rollheiser um, called Domestic Monastery. And I, I'm just going to read this like one little sentence and I'll tell you how it was meaningful for me. He said, if you are home alone with small children whose needs give you little uninterrupted time, then you don't need an hour of private prayer daily. Raising small children, if it is done with love and generosity, will do for you exactly what private prayer does. And I just, that changed something in me, Steve, because in that silence and solitude and engaging scripture and and praying and pouring my heart out, I was seeing interruptions from my daily life as inconveniences to my intimacy with God rather than invitations. And so now if a kid comes in the door while I'm on a Zoom call or, um, you know, there's some other disruption outside of my expectations, I see that as an opportunity to engage a discipline that I love called breath prayer to say how in this moment can I become more present with the spirit of God in this moment, in that interruption to say, yep, I'm prepping for my sermon, but Miles, how can I help you? How can I be submitted to you as your mother and love you in this moment? And how does that actually equip me more to engage what I'm doing on the other side of that interaction? Because I was present. I cannot tell you the amount of times I felt guilty for like shooing my kids out of the room or using a harsh tone with them while I'm doing something for the church or for my job, or in the name of 
some spiritual practice and realizing actually, no, I didn't embody the spirit of Jesus at all in that interaction. And so it's actually detracting from my Christlikeness. So um, especially since 2020 in a house with little children, I'm trying to see interruptions and disruptions as opportunities for deeper intimacy, um, not as detractions. Gosh, that's so good. You know, you, you think about that, you know, I think about every time when Jesus would stop and yes. see the children and the disciples were like, what's he doing? That's like, right. We, we, what, like, we got stuff to do. We got, we gotta get we got somewhere. people, we got to yeah. get somewhere. Right. Yeah. And that internal unhealthy side of efficiency of a disciple, um, that unhealthy side of, I got, I got, I got better things to do. Mm-hmm. And yet Jesus just models like, it's good. Yeah. My father, my father's got this and it's, this is, this is what's most important. And just that, that simple reminder. And usually it's in those moments. If I go back to what you shared, I imagine that a story of you and miles and you being present mm-hmm. ends up showcasing itself in a part of your sermon in a few weeks, you know, yeah. because you're like, something happened. And again, that's the power of Emmanuel, God with us, ministry of presence. But I love that seeing interruptions as an invitation. Yeah, that's right. And it's actually, I've now, I've now seen it as anytime an interruption happens, I've recrafted my thinking to ask God, what part of your heart are you trying to share with me right now? You're, Mm. You're pursuing me with your love all the time, even in interruptions and distractions that I don't anticipate. So may I not reject your heart for me in this moment, even if I didn't plan for it. That's been huge because I don't, I don't want to miss the heart of God in what I didn't plan. Um, and so especially with my kids, you're right. There's so much that they teach me, but I will miss it if I am married to and clenching to my own agenda in that moment. And one of the best gifts that um, being home more with them um, has given me is an increased awareness and recognition of God's heart for me through them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can, I, can I press on that just for one second? And this, this will be uh, the last few kind of thoughts, questions, but I get this from a parental interruption, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm not saying that's easy. I, I get this more than ever. I always used to say like when, before you had kids and you were flying on a plane and a kid was crying, you were like, dude, get your kid together. And then once you had kids, every moment that kid's crying, you're like, you just want to like buy champagne for that that parent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're just like, dude, you're (laughs) awesome. You got this. I'm with you. Um, but you know, I think with 2020 zoom, the whole, you know, moment, I think it's hard because it feels like, gosh, the schedules are out the door, structures all out the door, everything's different and seeing that. But you said something where you talked about all these interruptions being an invitation, you know, for, for intimacy or understanding God's heart and God's always pursuing. So I get this with like parental interruptions. Mm -hmm. Do you feel the same about cultural interruptions? Yes. 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 Um, For all the calls that we're hearing now, there's a lot of junk that needs to be cleared out from multiple perspectives. Right. Um, within the church, um, outside the church. And I keep going back to the passage in Romans where um, the truth comes out that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so any disruption that we are experiencing in culture, I'm choosing to see, even if it's painful, even if I don't understand it, even if I'm even fearful, God, what are you trying to get us to see? Because you are slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love. What are you trying to give us an opportunity for to do right, right now? I mean, we're, we're you know, coming off um, a few weeks from MLK's uh, legacy. His birthday um, happened in January. Um, and he says in his letter to a Birmingham jail, the time is always ripe to do right. Yes. And I feel like, 
these disruptions are uh, a cleaning out of a, drunk, a junk drawer of sorts where we're getting an opportunity to see what we want to keep and what we want to throw away for good so that we might engage in transformation together. Um, so yeah, these interruptions, they're, um, they're inconvenient. Uh, recently, my husband and I were just frustrated we couldn't go to a restaurant and sit down and have a normal brunch together. Um, that's, a, that's a privilege and it's also a disruption. Um, but I, I'm trying to latch on to, again, what is ours to see? God, what are you trying to give us an opportunity to see right now that we might proclaim your glory and your goodness to a greater degree? Like, what is it? I don't want to miss that. And so in the interruption, might we see something that we could not have seen with our own physical eyes in a spiritual way for the sake of the kingdom and of one another? Ashley Island. Wow. Thank you. You just, you just pastored me right there. I needed mm-hmm. that word. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> um, Hey, can you, can you, before we go, can you just, uh, can you talk a little bit about humankind? Uh, mm-hmm. cause I, it was one of my favorite books that I've read in the last, uh, I mean, it came out in April. Um, I mean, and it just, uh, was, I mean, it, it's amazing because I remember you being in an, in an office telling me it, like this is what you want to write about, and I was like, "This yeah. is awesome." I could not have imagined it coming at a more crucial and important time. Um, but can you just talk a little bit about the heart of that book, where people can find it, where mm-hmm. people can find you, and then also where people can find Delwin? Yeah, would love to. So this book came because um, a guy named Steve Carter asked me if I was ready to write for a larger audience <laughs> <laughs> edit that out <laughs> oh no but it's true you believed in me and so um that belief spread on this this work and um i i remember sitting in a coffee shop and just hearing different conversations happen and it wasn't necessarily even the content of what people were, were talking about it was the tone and this was in 2018 so wow. this was in the middle of last presidential cycle. Um, and I was just so, I was devastated. I was, my heart was so heavy because I said, this cannot be taking us in a positive direction. Political convictions aside, like wh- what have we done? What are we doing to the fabric of our humanity and inherent worth and dignity? What are we doing? And so humankind came out of a place of asking that question of, can we reclaim and embrace the radical inherent dignity of each and every person, the Imago Dei, um, in a way where story becomes the healing bomb by which we understand that better, where story builds empathy. And the surprise of this entire book was that it ended up becoming my story leading from being a little girl in elementary school through some more recent true life experiences and really pointing out the learning and the lessons in each one of those, almost like little parables, but some easier than others, some dealing with um, positive interaction, some dealing with humiliation and rejection, but really calling us to further understand how God in his kindness invites us to engage with the world around us and with other people. Um, so it was a it was a hard book to write, and yet I had no idea that it would be released a couple weeks into a pandemic, um, and, and amidst um, heated racial tensions that were already in existence. Um, so yeah, I it's it's my offering for right now, right and. Um, have heard a lot of people talk about how it's helped them have conversations with other people, which is a huge gift. And I'm, I'm grateful that it spurred that in other, in other folks, but it's online and it's, it's on amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, Target, wherever uh, books are sold online. And um, I'm at ashleyisland.com. So some of my writing, some of my blog stuff is there, some articles, um, but then Delwyn and I both love Instagram. So if you're <laughs> Instagram, <laughs> you can find me at Ashley underscore Island and Delwyn at Delwyn. That's D-E-L-W-I-N underscore Island, our last name. 
And he's also on Spotify if you're interested in checking out some of his music. Seriously, friends, you you got to get Humankind. It's a fantastic, fantastic read, and it's more important today than um, I, I, I can believe that mm-hmm. um, Ashley could have ever imagined in 2016 when she began writing. Um, and secondly, uh, Ashley has, from time to time, put these spiritual practices um, on her Instagram, but also um, you will see some of her writing and her pastoring and that death, burial, resurrection in her posts. Um, she is a worthy follow. And one moment, uh, I forgot, I don't think we've ever talked about this. I'm just like going through my Instagram, da, 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 and somebody like uh, shared something on Instagram stories and I was like going through it, da, 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 da. And then it was like a shared post from Kristen Bell um, like the Kristen Bell, Dax Shepard, and it's an Ashley Island quote. And I was like, yeah, of course, of course, this is, this is the legend that she is. And it just like, I was just like, how awesome. And then I was like, Kristen Bell, the, the woman who's petrified of sloths is learning about humankind and just being moved and getting to see, uh, some of the depth of Jesus through your writing. So um, but please listen to Delwyn's stuff. It will wreck you and change you. And Ashley, thanks so much for the time. I'm so proud of you, grateful for you, and uh, many, many blessings. Steve, thank you. Thanks for everything. <laughs> <laughs>